Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, Sojourn. It is great to be able to gather again another Sunday as a church. And life is finally starting to seem like it's re-emerging as uh, some level of normalcy as we have moved into the low-risk category here in Multnomah County. I know we've all been waiting for this day for a long time, and now hopefully and prayerfully it will stay in the low-risk category. And uh, the way things are looking, maybe by mid-June, we'll kind of be in no category at all. So it's hard to believe that we actually have found ourselves at this place, but that's really good news, especially with the summer months. We've got a a lot of stuff planned. We have our interns. Actually, two of them are arriving today, so a lot of exciting things are happening. Um, it kind of feels almost like when you first go back to school after summer break, where it's like familiar, but yeah, it still feels kind of different. It feels still kind of fresh and new. And so that's kind of the the transition and phase that we're in right now. We are I'm going to con- continue to offer some kind of online component, but our goal is that we will actually phase this out and just do really everything in person because we've gone so long without seeing each other week in and week out that we can now finally get together freely, carefully, with wisdom, but to be the people of God. And really think about this idea of the church. A large part of our ecclesiology is that we gather together as the body of Christ, as the people of Christ. And so I am uh, glad that we are almost where that day has finally arrived. Uh, We are in one of the last few sermons in the Sermon on the Mount. And Here we have found ourselves that Jesus is starting to get near closing the sermon and he's driving the point home that every single person, every single one of us, every man, woman, child has to make a decision of who we're going to follow. Are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to follow the world? Jesus said we have to decide which path we will take, which door we will enter, and which foundation we're going to build our life upon. He has told us that no one can straddle the line, that that none of us can say there's a, a middle spot because there is no middle ground with Jesus. It's all Jesus and all in or none of Jesus and, and choosing a different path altogether. And as we'll look at that final section next week, we'll look at this idea of a foundation of how it is that we want to build our life and what it is that we want to build our life upon. And finally, we'll see who it is that enters the kingdom of heaven. We've got Jesus is going to tell us that this week, but not all actually get into the kingdom of heaven, but those who take a, a conscious decision of which way they will go and which path they will choose. Last week, we looked at kingdom fruit, and if you did miss that sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, because I kind of structured these sermons where they're part one and part two, and they really fit together and go hand in hand, because it's honestly, it's not some easy stuff that we're looking at here, and so I encourage you to go back and at least listen to that sermon if you missed it, or go back and watch it, or wherever it is that you podcast. But in that sermon, Jesus warned us to beware of false prophets, and what we discuss is that Jesus warning us of these things knew that he assumed that there would be false prophets, and that They would come to us in sheep's clothing, but internally they were ravenous wolves and they would destroy the church. We learned that they would come in and they may even be hard for us to spot. They may attend church faithfully. They may pray and serve and even give tithes and offerings. But Jesus finished by giving us a test, a way of discernment of how we can know whether these people are the real deal or maybe they're a fraud of some kind. He told us that we would recognize them by their fruits and that we'd either recognize them by the fruit of the spirit, which is joy, love, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, or we'd recognize them by the fruit of the world, enmity, impurity, jealousy, and self-indulgence. That that would be the way that we would recognize whether someone is really 
following Jesus and, and a teacher of Jesus or whether it's following something entirely else. And so verses 15 through 20 last week, they dealt with these false prophets. And now we're going to turn our attention in verses 21 through 23 and we're going to be looking at false followers, or as some would call the, the deceived. Last week we looked at the deceivers, and this week we'll look at the deceived. And in this passage, in these few verses, here's what we're going to see. First, we're going to see a warning about who will and who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Second, we're going to see concrete examples of hypothetical illustrations of how the deceived make their claims. What is it they build their claim to enter the kingdom of heaven upon? Even though when they get there, Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And then we'll see in the final verse, Jesus' own evaluation of these individuals. And so this week, I have to be honest, Jesus says some of those somber and concerning words in all of Scripture. These words that we're going to look at this morning, I do not take lightly. The words we look at this morning as a church, we do not take lightly. They should cause us to, one, take notice. They should give us a moment to stop and to pause and really see that the meaning behind these words have eternal consequences for you and for me and for our world. The words that Jesus gives to us in this passage appear to be very challenging because they force us to see ourselves as who we are, not who we think we are. They, choose, they force us to choose to see ourselves as who we are, not who we portray to be and maybe who others think that we are. And so one of my concerns or, or fears is for those of us who grew up in church, and I fall into that category. I've been in church since I was in my mom's stomach, and you know, growing up it was Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, probably another night in the week or, or afternoon in the summer months. And so I was in the church uh, building, at least, a lot. And so my fear for those of us who grew up in church is that we can know a lot of facts about Jesus. We can give the Sunday school answers about Jesus but at the end of the day, it's possible that you don't really know Jesus. You know facts about what he did, but you've never bridged that gap and actually had a relationship with Jesus. Now, there's an internal difference between knowing about Jesus knowing and knowing Jesus. In other words, there's an internal difference between knowing some of those facts about Jesus and being able to quote things about Jesus and actually having a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is going to warn us this morning about a real event that's coming that every single one of us will face one day. And it's when we get to the end of time or the end of our life and we see Jesus face to face, whether he will actually know us or not know us. And so go ahead this morning, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 or turn the app on your phone to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 23. Let me pray for us. Let me pray the Holy Spirit is not only presence with us, but will actually give us clarity to the words that are being spoken this morning. Pray with me, church. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be with us at our kitchen tables, in our living rooms, in our bedrooms, at the Oregon Stamp Society where this is being held live. God, this is a heavy, heavy text. God, this is one of the most sombering and really way scariest texts in all of Scripture. God, I don't need the people of this church to hear Matt's words or Matt's voice. God, we need your voice. We need your word. We need your word to be clear to us this morning. So I ask that you remove any distractions from us. I ask that you would remove anything that maybe I prepared that, that doesn't make sense, God, and that there would be clarity for every single one of us as we finish and leave this place this morning. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus' words are as follows. 
It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, let me tell you a story. This coming Wednesday is my 14th wedding anniversary. And so I want to tell you just a little bit of the story of how it is that I met Andrea, my wife. I was on a short-term mission trip to Argentina. I was 18 years old. And when she initially saw me, I was actually at her church's Sunday night service, which is kind of the big service in Argentina. And I had a zip-up black hoodie on. I had my hood on. I had uh, headphones in. I don't really know why other than I was 18 and had never left the country. And I saw her... And she saw me, and she saw me and thought, man, this guy is rude. He's a rude, uh, arrogant American who's got his hood on and earphones, uh, headphones in during a church gathering. And I saw her, and I remember thinking, I don't want to marry someone in Argentina. Why I was even thinking in those terms, I don't know. But I remember thinking, I don't want to marry someone from Argentina. But if I were to marry someone from Argentina, I want it to be her. Now, eventually, we started emailing each other after I left that trip that summer. And she ignored my emails for six months because when she had met me, I was actually dating someone. But what she didn't know is that a few weeks after I returned, my girlfriend and I actually broke up. And so she was ignoring my emails, thinking that I was trying to play her and some other uh, girl in the U.S. And so after six months, I sent my final, I will leave you alone email. I'm done trying. I'm done putting myself out there. I, I picked up some mixed signals and I apparently I interpreted them the wrong way. And so I sent her that which I got a response from my final email, and it was an email of her basically apologizing for the last six months, for ignoring my emails. It was at this point that we started to get to know each other. Eventually, we had a conversation. That conversation led to another conversation and led to another email after an email. It started out with a couple of weeks, and then it was daily, and then we started using, that time it was MSN Messenger. Now we use Skype, or now in 2020, 2021, we used Zoom, but that time was MSN Messenger, and we'd actually get to see each other a little bit, and we talked about all kinds of life, our dreams, our aspirations, our backgrounds, and our relationships with the Lord, and to the point that now we are about to celebrate 14 years of marriage this coming Wednesday, and at this point, I would say that nobody knows Andrea Boyd like I do, and nobody knows Matt Boyd like Andrea does. You see, when we first met each other, we both made an initial judgment call. For her, it was that I was rude and I was a jerk because I was wearing a hood and headphones in a church service. And for me, it was that, wow, she's beautiful and man, maybe I would like to marry somebody like her. But neither one of us actually knew each other that day. These were just on assumptions, just based on appearance. And over the last decade and a half, we've gotten to know each other in and out and we're still learning things about each other, but we have a relationship with one another where I can tell you all about her and she can tell you all about me. I tell you that because Jesus has just finished telling us in the previous set of verses of how it is to look for fruit, how to know if someone is, is the real deal or not. And then we come to this really hard section that he has presented to us this morning where he tells us that uh, just an oral confession of Jesus alone does not always indicate a repentant heart. And so we see that in these opening verses, Jesus is essentially saying it doesn't necessarily matter what one claims. We look back at the false prophets of last week, but it actually matters what he or she does and the fruit reduced as a result. Now, to be clear, this message is not a salvation by works type of message, but rather it's a salvation that works. 
Sincere followers of Jesus will be known for following Jesus and his teaching. Sincere followers of Jesus will, will want to obey Jesus. We're not going to do it perfectly, but the desire of our heart, because we have a growing relationship with Jesus, this thing we call sanctification, this process of looking more and more like Jesus, the longer we follow him. And so it's not that we don't do that so that we might be accepted by God. We do that as a natural overflow of the outworking of the salvation that has already been given to us in Jesus. But that doesn't change that this verse is tremendously haunting verse because it says that people who will call him Lord will not necessarily enter the kingdom of heaven. And so that begs the question, then who is going to heaven? Jesus tells us those who do the will of my father in heaven, that is who will go to heaven. Now pick back up in verse 22. We're going to read that one again. It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Just like false prophets, we see that false disciples or false followers of Jesus, they may even exercise some power. They may even claim that it's in Jesus' name, but in the end, they deceive themselves and their believers. This also means that just because we can present some kind of mighty works and even claim that it's in the name of Jesus, that at times we can see mighty works and, and things of, of even miracles done that aren't from God, including demons and, and human uh, uh, just kind of magicry. Now, I don't mean to pick on my charismatic brothers and sisters. In fact, I, sometimes I would say I'm a charismatic with a seatbelt on. All I, all I mean by that is that I'm open to the, to the Spirit and dwelling what the Spirit of God wants to do. But let's think more of our charismania, uh, the kind of the, the crazy aunts and uncles, so to speak. And, you kind of see the abuse of that. And we, and once again, not to pick on them, you see that in all levels of, of different various types of churches and denominations, but this is where I've seen a lot of this dangerous and false teaching come in because you see someone have some kind of new revelation and new word from God and some power authority. And the rest of us point to and go, man, but look at the miracles they're performing or, or look at this exorcism or, that they're performing and just all of these different things. And then it easily allows this false stuff and false teaching to enter into the life of the church. And like I said last week, it's like this small cancer cell. I had a golf ball size of cancer. So I'm not going to do anything about it because the rest of me is fine. But then it grows bigger and bigger until it internally takes over. And I think that's what we see happen a lot in the church. And so my prayer for all of us is that we are given the gift of discernment when we see things, especially new things that enter into our culture and our world and, and things that claim the name of Jesus. We need to test those things with, with one of the fruit of the Spirit, as Jesus is telling us here, and then the Word of God itself. Now, there's a number of claims that we see here in verse 22. First, they ask, do we not prophesy in your name? Now, prophecy signifies speaking in the name of God, which it, it's a sense of what you're revealing, the hidden things of Scripture. You're foretelling the future of what is to come. Second, they said, did we not cast out demons in your name? We see in the New Testament, demons were, demons were beings who occupied a position somewhere between the people of God and God himself. Specifically, these people are linked to Satan. We see their actions are evil, and at times they call physical limitations to home to our dwelling. And then we see even a number of times in the gospel that Jesus cast out demons from sufferers, and he does so in the name and power of Jesus, in the name of himself. And we see that there's even times that his disciples try to cast out demons, they, and they can't do so. And that Jesus has to come in and say, this can only be done through prayer. Third, this group will come in, and they'll claim to have done mighty works or miracles in Jesus' name. So these, these individuals are clearly performing something of a miraculous nature. 
And they were claiming to have done it in Jesus' name, but that alone is not evidence that they, they are from God. And those who pleaded this forgot that there can be lying wanderers. In other words, we see these things happen that aren't actually from God. We see this throughout scripture. We see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. And we still see this today. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. It says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And so we see there is such a thing as false signs and wonders. That's why I'm never, I'm never one. I guess I'm skeptical by nature, but I'm never one who's just bought into someone saying, man, look at these signs and wonders. You know, there was a season in my life where I kind of hung around a tribe and that's all they talked about, signs and wonders, signs and wonders. We want more signs and wonders. And my, my antenna started going up, my kind of radar was like, why are you always seeking signs and wonders? Because we see right here that signs and wonders alone aren't necessarily proof. That's not, that's not the proof that we're necessarily seeking. Where's the fruit that comes from the signs and wonders? Tyler David of this verse says, the church can do all of these things, prophesy, cast out demons, and even miracles but they are not the ultimate sign of faithfulness. The ultimate mark of faithfulness and success in Christianity is not the amount of power you display in church. It is in receiving, hearing, and obeying what God said. Now, the modern-day equivalent, you may not be going around claiming prophecy and, and miracles, but the modern-day equivalent for us might sound something more like this. God, did I not attend church in your name faithfully? God, I was, I was in a gospel community God, I went on a short-term mission trip in your name. God, I served at outreach events and even volunteered at nonprofits all in your name. God, I gave money to the church in your name. God, I, even, I went to a Christian school in your name. And so we see that there's all these things that we can do and, and add to kind of our resume and portfolio to, to hand over. Then the end of time to Jesus say, come on, come on, didn't I, didn't I do enough in your name? And then we turn to one of the scariest verses in all of scripture, verse 23. Then I will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, what's the natural reaction when we read this text? I'll tell you my natural reaction. For last week's text and this week's text, as a pastor, as one preparing this message, going, uh-oh, is this, is this me? Is this, is this talking about me? And so that might be your reaction this morning. You think, well, how am I supposed to know? Once again, I'm hoping my prayers are clarity when we finish here this morning. But right now, you might even be a little confused going, is this, is this me? Like, I do some of those things, and I volunteered, and I went to a Christian college, and this and this and that. And like, is this me? Well, it can produce a fear based inside of us, based on our fear, which is a feeling, okay? But not based on what Jesus actually said in this text, which is key. So let me, hopefully, I distinguish between that. There, there might be a fear that you're feeling. That's based on your feeling, not on what Jesus actually said to us in this text. This is what trumps the feeling. This is what matters over here. And so Jesus, he calls this group workers of lawlessness. Now, this doesn't mean that they just messed up like we do. This doesn't mean that they just sinned again like we do. What this does mean is when it comes to God's word for their life, they did not obey. In other words, they didn't do the things of God. They did the things of themselves. They refused to submit to God's word. They refused to submit to God's way. They refused to see this as authoritative in their life and said, did whatever it is that they wanted to do. And so for the reason for the rejection by him is that their profession was something of verbal, of nature. In other words, they just said, yeah, sure, I follow Jesus, but it wasn't moral in nature. We had to deal with this whenever we were in South Asia because Hindus, I mean, it depends on who you watch. So if you know a Hindu or you're watching this morning and you are a Hindu, uh, some would say there's 330 million gods. Other would say there's one God with 330 million um, 
versions or kind of outworkings of that. But either way, in my experience, working amongst Hindus, many of them had no problems of accepting Jesus. Many of them had no problems of professing Jesus. But what they would mean by that is they would take Jesus along with their three or four other Hindu gods. And so they had no problem confessing Jesus as their Lord and Savior with their mouth, but then they would want to keep all their others. And so we had to work through this idea we call syncretism. And then we said, no, 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 that's not how the God of the Bible works. You can't just add the God of the Bible with all these other gods. Your Hindu gods might accept that. The God of the Bible, the one true God of the universe, the creator, does not work that way. And then Jesus says you have to pick and you have to choose. You either choose him or you choose another way. And so that's kind of what's going on here, is that a verbal profession alone is not good. This is why as a parent with three little ones, one of those recently made a profession of faith. I've had to really discern and be very, very careful. Now, I'm not God, so it's not up for me to decide, but we do our due diligence, try to use wisdom to make sure that this claim that they are making is actually what's going on in their life and in their heart. Not that they're just making some rogue decision and just mimicking mom and dad. And so we see that these people, it only concern their lips and not their life. They call Jesus Lord, Lord, but they never submitted to his lordship or obeyed the will of their heavenly father, which really just saying Lord, Lord is not that hard to do. It's easy to claim Jesus our Lord and Savior. It's another thing to actually submit to his lordship in our life. It's another thing to want to actively seek to obey the will of our father in heaven. And the reason that Christ the judge will banish them from him is that one, it says they never knew him. I think that's really, really key here because if you actually know Jesus, then you're not at risk here. It says that they never knew him. Never means never. There was never a point in their life when they actually knew him as their savior. You know, I think about once again, I grew up in church. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm thankful for that. That's not everyone's story who's part of sojourn. But there's people I grew up in the church. I remember they would make the same profession of faith that I made. And then once we got into high school and college, yeah, we all kind of had this rebellious period. But I look and, and some of them want nothing to do with the Jesus now. Some of them want nothing to do with his bride, the church. And I go, man, what happened? They were the worship leader in our youth group. They were the ones leading Bible studies in our youth. What happened? And I realize that in many cases, it's very possible that they never actually knew Jesus, but they knew within this Christian culture, especially in the Bible Belt, that you know the right language to use. You know the right lingo, excuse me, the right clothing, and you can come across as a good, strong Christian. But it's whenever you get into different environments and you get on your own. And we watch this happen a lot in Portland. Okay, there's a lot of transplants in this city. I'm a transplant in this city. Uh, many, many people here are transplants. And you'll see people come and it's like they get really swept away with the culture. I think, man, what happened? It's just because Portland's such a least religious, most atheistic city. I mean, it's such a hard place. And I realize, no, it's not Portland. Not necessarily Portland. What it is, is Portland creates this perfect environment for them to, to actually come out and to be who they actually are on the inside, who they've always been on the inside. It just maybe didn't come out when they were back somewhere else in another part of the country where they grew up. The second thing is that they are evildoers. That's what this passage tells us. So one, that Jesus never knew them and that they are evil doers. And that these people might come and they might claim mighty works done in Jesus' name, but in their everyday behavior, the works they do are not good, but they're actually evil. Now this should cause us all to pause. This should cause us all to do kind of a self-inspection. Go, man, I've made a profession of faith and I sit in church week in and week out and I can quote some scripture and I can sing some songs of praise by memory and that I might even be able to fool those around me, that, I'm, that I am this follower of Jesus, but only Jesus truly knows our heart. Now, at the risk of there not being clarity this morning, Sojourn absolutely believes in what is known as eternal security. 
which basically means once saved, always saved. In other words, you're not at risk. When you read this passage, if you're someone who actually follows and knows and loves Jesus, you're not at risk of losing that. You're not at risk of losing your salvation because it says, once again, in verse 23, Jesus addresses those he rejects by declaring, I never knew you. So there's a difference if you actually know Jesus between those who never knew Jesus. And so once again, these individuals might be able to fool us and we might think, man, in the end, this person saved, but they are actually lost. And according to Jesus, he never knew them. Of this passage, Dietrich Bonhoeffer comments, he says, verses 21 through 23 are a dreadful warning. The most orthodox avowals of faith have no value in the eyes of God if they are not translated into concrete obedience to his will. One may with his lips loudly profess his faith in God and even invoke Jesus as Lord, yet deny him by thoughts, words, and acts. And so we see that these people appear to be affiliated with Jesus. They even claim to have done special things and powers in his name, but they are denounced for two major reasons. First, Jesus doesn't actually know them and he never has. Second, they are evil doers instead of doers of the Father's will. Now, if hearing this passage this morning has given you any concern about your own life, but your security and your relationship with God, then I would suggest a couple of things. One is do a self-inspection. Do that this morning as we conclude our time and ask yourself a couple of questions. First question, are you the same person in private that you are in public? Now, only God and you can answer that. You can easily fool all of us, be looked at as something that you are not, but are you someone else in private? You know whether or not you are. I think of even recent ripples calls within the church, greater church kind of in the U.S. And people kind of scratch their head and go, what, what happened? Was this, was, was this person not who they said they were? Was this leader not who they said they were? Were they a phony? Were they a fraud? And we learn that sometimes these people are entirely someone else in their private life. Sometimes literally only the private life that they know about, not even their families know about. And so only you and God know the true answer to that question. Second, is your life or lifestyle indistinguishable from that of the world? I'm not proposing some type of legalism here, but your life as a disciple of Jesus should be different. There are areas of your life that should look very different than the city of Portland. There's areas of your life that should look different from your coworkers. There's areas of your life that should look different from your neighbors. There's areas of your life that should look different from your family who don't know and follow Jesus. When we were planting churches overseas, we used the terminology obedience-based discipleship. Now, a lot of times we don't like that term here, but simply meaning that you are actively obeying and seeking to obey as a disciple of Jesus, seeking to obey the commands of Christ, not doing so perfectly. When, when a Hindu would come and follow Jesus, we would start with the very basics. Here's your story that you understand now this gospel message. Go and share that story with somebody else. That's the only command they need to obey. obey. Then next we'd go over and say, Okay, Jesus actually teaches you to be baptized. And we'd explain them what baptism is. So they would go back and teach people themselves. And they would, they would, only, they would teach what they knew, what, what to obey. In other words, they didn't know all the commands, so there's still commands they were breaking. And the same thing's probably true of your life, but that you are seeking to actively obey Jesus and his will. And so how do you know for sure that you will gain access to the kingdom of heaven? You simply have to look within. You simply have to look within and look to Jesus and note the true condition of your heart. And I encourage you to, <coughs> excuse me, I encourage you to do that this morning. Say, Jesus, I want to open my heart, do heart surgery on me this morning. I want to know for sure that I, that I know you. And many of you do, but if you don't, we invite you to do that this morning. 
And you need to undergo a self-examination to evaluate your spiritual health. As I said at the beginning, there's a big difference between an eternal, there's a difference, there's an eternal difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus. I still remember April 28, 2011. Number one, Cam Newton was selected as the number one player overall in the NFL draft. And he was selected by the Carolina Panthers, which I happen to have grown up as a fan. and I'm still a fan of the team to this day. And so as Cam Newton became our quarterback, I got to know about Cam Newton. I learned all about him and, and I knew his stats and he was breaking records left and right, doing things that no other quarterback in history had done and scoring more t- touchdowns than any other history, other, other quarterback had done and, and beating um, records with running. And then we get to the 2015 season. We went 15 and one. We went to the Super Bowl 50. Now the outcome wasn't what I wanted, but still we made it to the big game. And so I knew Cam Newton. Well, one day while I was actually flying back from Charlotte, North Carolina to Portland, Oregon, I I thought, man, it's kind of weird. All these years I've flown in and out of Charlotte. I've never met a professional athlete. I mean, we have all these Charlotte Hornet players here. Michael Jordan has a hound here. We have all of these Carolina Panthers players. Like how's, I've never met a professional athlete or just even seen one flying in and out of this airport. Well, I must've been prophetic in my thinking because that afternoon I get dropped off after the airport I'm walking towards my gate to find, you know, exactly where is my flight going to be flying. And out of the corner of my eye, I look to the right, and there's one of those shops that sells the magazines and the candy. And lo and behold, I see this very tall, muscular individual wearing a hat and sunglasses. And I went, oh my goodness, that's Cam Newton. And so what did I do? Well, I calmly think to myself, one, you're a 33-year-old male at this time. It was a couple years ago. I think, so you got to act calm. you got to act mature man to man, right? You're not going to go, you're not a little boy anymore. So you're not going to go up like you're this little kid. And so I kind of sneak in behind him and then I follow him, right? Real manly like. I follow him to where he sits down in a corner and I walk up to him thinking, man, I know all about this guy. I watch him week in and week out. My, my son has a jersey of his. And so I walk up to him. I say, hey, Cam, how you doing? I'd love to get a picture with you. And here's how he responds. Kind of slouched back. He goes, nah, man, I'm just trying to chill. Well, I understood. But in that moment, here's what happened. When I actually met him face to face, I realized that I knew a lot about Cam Newton. But I didn't actually know Cam Newton. And Cam Newton didn't actually know me. If he had, then there would be a very different result. And so it's entirely possible for you to know all about somebody and not really know them. And that is what Jesus is getting to here. This is what the point that Jesus is stressing to us. My guess is if you're tuning in this morning, that you are most likely a church person or with some church background. My guess is that most of you could switch places with me this morning and you could be behind this pulpit and you could tell me all about Jesus and you could tell us on camera all kinds of facts about Jesus, about his life, the miracles that he performed. But the question I want you to get to the bottom of today in your heart is that even though you know stuff about Jesus and you can fill up our time this morning, are you actually in a relationship with him? If Jesus were to walk into your house right now through your front door and come up to you and you would see him face to face and you'd meet him face to face for the first time, would you know him and would he know you? You might be thinking, okay, Matt, that might be me. I grew up in church. I know a lot about church. I know a lot about Jesus but I'm actually just not sure that I've ever taken that step of actually having a relationship, an eternal relationship with Jesus. Well, the way that you enter into a relationship with Jesus is by faith. 
Scripture tells us it's by grace through faith that you are saved. Because we are sinners. Jesus came to live the life that we could not live. Jesus died on a cross. He shed his blood for your sin and for mine. And he rose again three days later. And if we put our faith and trust in that, the Bible says that we are saved. And that's how, like your, dead, like your wedding day, is the rest of your life when you get to know him. And so that moment of salvation is just like when, when Andre and I entered into our covenant relationship. We entered into this covenant relationship with God. And then the rest of our lives, that 14 years I'm about to celebrate with Andrea, the rest of our lives is getting to know Jesus intimately and having this relationship with him where it's a growing and deepening and uh, just a better relationship with him where you love him more and more every day. And then when you see him on that final day, this final day that he references here in this, this text, when you see Jesus face to face, which every one of us will at some point face him face to face, you'll be introduced to your, it'll be like a reunion with your best friend. It won't be an initial inter- introduction. You want to pal down and worship this Jesus who you've been following and loving for for long, for many, many years. And you will not hear, depart from me. I never knew you, but rather you'll hear the words, enter into the kingdom of heaven, which I have prepared for you. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And so if that's you this morning, if you realize that, man, I need to take that actual step of faith that I've never done so, we'd be remiss if we didn't give this opportunity because the reality is you might be someone who, who I already think is a Christian, but maybe you've realized this morning that you're not. Once again, this isn't coming across as judgmental, but between you and God, that if you've never done that this morning, we want to invite you to respond by doing that. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us to end our text. Joseph's going to come back up and lead one final song, a response for us. And if you realize that, man, you have never actually followed Jesus, I want you to type in the chat bar, RESPOND, in all caps, and someone from our team will follow up with you because we would love nothing more than to walk you uh, and introduce you into a relationship with Jesus this morning. And for those of us who already know Jesus and we're secure in that and we know that, we're going to worship Jesus as we've been reminded of that truth again as we sing this final song. So church, pray with me, and then Joseph's going to come back up. God, we thank you for another morning where we can gather and look at your truth. God, this is a really, really hard passage for us. This is a really difficult one. But God, I pray that it was presented clearly and where I wasn't clear, I pray that your Holy Spirit made it clear. And God, that those who are saved, that they don't question their salvation this morning, but we are thankful and grateful yet again for it in you. And God, for those of you who realize that they have never entered that relationship with you, God, that you would convict them right now in this moment they would realize their need for you and God, that they would respond in salvation this morning. It's in your name, by your power, we pray, Jesus. We give this time over to you in response of worship. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.